AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. It is an important time for biofuels. Global climate leaders are meeting right now and are deciding the next steps to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And the U.S. elections give the industry an opportunity to advance efforts with new legislation. We've got updates on U.S. and global biofuel market development. Live from the halls of far-flung bunkers to the shores of ag formation via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Tony Bredenkamp from the Renewable Fuels Association. Then it's Mackenzie Bobine from the U.S. Grains Council. And right after the news, Greg Henderson from Drovers. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now, here's the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis. Yes, what is it? The 243? 40. Um, uh, I am seeing a headline right here. I just got it. Okay. Marine Corps celebrates 247th birthday. 47? Wow. Yes. 1775, the Corps was born out of a Philadelphia tavern. You betcha. Seems about right. Yeah. Happy yep. birthday, uh, Marine Corps. Semper yes. Fi, y'all. Semper Fi. Y'all. <laughs> Good stuff. Welcome to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us this morning. We've got a lot of biofuel issues to cover today, Davis. We both do. on yes. a U.S. basis and globally. Globally. You know, we... We spend so much time talking about the the U.S. biofuel market, which is unbelievably important to U.S. farmers. Oh, I believe but, it. But the uh, <laughs> but the global side of the market it it uh, it offers some opportunities that we don't often think about. And ethanol hmm. exports, well north of a billion gallon in two thousand twenty twenty one. And getting to well over a billion gallons in 2022 as well. So we've got plenty of conversation about what is going on. And you know what? Hey, it's still the election season. We can still talk about messaging and the sure. messaging that is going along with biofuels at um, another uh, a COP meeting mm-hmm. in in Egypt. And we'll find out more about that from McKinsey coming up here in just a little bit. All right, great. dude, let's get to the news. What do you got? Well, Chip, the annual U.S. inflation rate in the uh, slowed for a fourth month to 7.7% in October. That's the lowest since January. The consumer price index rose 0.4% on the month. The index for shelter contributed over half of that monthly increase, with the indices for gasoline and food also increasing. Still, figures continue to point to strong inflationary pressures. Right, right. Now, the stock market has been all over the place but since yeah. we got the report the cpi out this morning it's basically been to the upside the dow's 850 points higher right now all right uh, so in, in this case it feels like good news and the market is taking it as good news okay that's pretty close to actual good news then isn't it pretty i close? think so i think so <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Chip, the uh, Georgia Senate race is headed for a runoff with House results still pending, but the expectation is modest Republican control in the House. The struggle for control of the Senate boils down to three races in Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada, with each party needing to win two of those states to secure a majority. Now, Chip, with the midterm yep. elections resulting in tight balances between Democrats and Republicans, watchers believe changes in a new farm bill will likely be hard fought. While some believe narrow congressional majorities may lead to increased compromise, Michael Tory of the Tory Advisory Group suggests Republicans may push to pass a new farm bill on Republican votes only. Former North Dakota Senator Heidi Heitkamp says there will not be a new farm bill without compromise on nutrition. Whether it's SNAP, whether it's school nutrition, there's going to be a big push for free hot lunch. And so there's a, a lot of moving parts here and a lot of opportunity, a lot of opportunity to find out how climate smart agriculture can actually provide economic benefits to farmers. And in the House, energy policy is likely to take priority for Republicans topping climate issues. American Farm Bureau Federation Political Affairs Director Cody Lyon notes this. Energy policy overall, especially with the current price of diesel fuel and its impact on farmers and ranchers and rural communities around the country. So, Chip, that farm bill is uh, is already a topic of conversation, even as we got Georgia Senate headed for a runoff. Still a lot up yep. in the air right now. Yeah, it looks like, and this is just, you know, I think it's uh, uh, some Kentucky windage on the race in Nevada. Mm. Ne- Nevada. <laughs> Jeez. Nevada's in Iowa. Yeah, yeah, my (laughs) Iowa roots coming out there. The race in Nevada. Uh, It looks like that. It looks like the Democrats may secure 50 seats in the Senate even before we get to the runoff. That's that's the latest lean that I've seen there. So something uh, to continue to watch. Well, President Joe Biden reiterated his desire to run for president again in 2024, saying he will make a final decision early next year. He hailed the strong nights Democrats had in Tuesday's midterm elections, but acknowledged voters' frustration with the country's direction. Meanwhile, with candidates backed by former President Trump largely underperforming, some in the GOP are suggesting distancing the party from Trump. We'll get more on this, but EPA did send their proposed levels under the RFS for 23 to the Office of Management and Budget. Faces a November 30 deadline there. Mexican President Obrador yesterday said publicly the Mexican government cannot buy U.S. corn, citing GMOs. Chip. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. We've got to continue to dig into the GMO issue with Mexico as well. Let's bring in Greg Henderson, Editorial Director at Drovers. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Chip. Talk to me about this wholesale beef market. What's going on? Yeah, you know, wholesale beef prices have rallied, Chip, more than $20, a hundredweight over the past six weeks. And that we're trading right now about 265 per hundredweight. So a rally in wholesale beef is seasonal, but it's impressive in that beef cutout has increased at the same time of fed cattle slaughter remains above a year ago. And consumers are facing this high inflation we've been talking about. Yeah. So we have ample supplies of beef, but we're also seeing less choice and prime carcasses. Year-to-date production of prime and upper two-thirds two-thirds of choice is down nearly 400,000 head chip. So we've provided consumers over the last few years this quality beef that they've come to expect, and now yeah. they're demanding it. 
that's putting uh, pressure on Packers to up their bids as we've seen the last two or three weeks because they want those higher grading cattle. That's also why we see a premium in the north because there's more higher grading cattle up there. So going forward, how resilient will these values be? For, and, and what's it mean for the cattle market? Looks like good prices this fall and winter, a uh, continuation of the trend that we've been seeing. Okay, Greg, any cuts in particular that are seeing most attention from the Absolutely. Consumers? About okay. three-fourths of the gain in this wholesale beef has come from the chuck, which is up 19%, and rib prattles, which is up yep. 13%. So those are the cuts. Uh, you know, they're higher value, obviously. Yeah. But that's where the demand is. So, um, you know, we've been talking about a poor economy and high inflation, but for yeah. beef right now, it's just been, uh, you know, absolutely great yeah i'm telling you when you see the rib primals in there up 13 percent, and the demand is still holding right in there you know people are what they're they brought their luxury home is what it kind of sounds like Absolutely. they may not be going out to the restaurants but they're fixing a doggone good piece of beef at home and and they want that quality good stuff greg thanks buddy we'll talk to you later thank you chip you bet. That's Greg Henderson, Editorial Director at Drovers. We've got Troy Bredenkamp up next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by the NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program, which cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. I like to keep my pencils nice and sharp, Chip. I understand. I understand. Yeah, and, and having that electric one set up there is, is very important. I get it. It's a dream I get it. come true. You are a pencil guy. You've always been a pencil guy. I really have. Yeah. 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 All right. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. That is Davis Michelson. Hi. Um, let's talk ethanol. Uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover on today's show uh, uh, when it comes to the biofuels. Joining us right now is Troy Bredenkamp, Senior VP, Government and Public Affairs at the Renewable Fuels Association. Troy, welcome back to AgriTalk, man. It's good to talk with you again. Hey, Chip. Good to be with you. Okay. Uh, you know what? Before I was going to jump right into the rail situation, but before we do that, I, I feel like it's necessary to do a little bit of the afterglow of the export exchange that was hosted the middle of last month by RFA, uh, Growth Energy, and U.S. Grains Council was in on that. What is the export exchange and who attends? 
Well, the export exchange is really set up to highlight distillers grains and their export opportunities. So that's the that's the market. That's the uh, crowd. There was a great crowd in Minneapolis. I did not go, but I know uh, we had several hundred in attendance. Uh, this puts the people who are looking for that product, uh, that good high protein product um, in the world, uh, together with those here in the U.S. that are producing high quality grain feed and uh, hopefully get some uh, transactions completed. So yeah. all in all, I think it was a very good conference and uh, bodes well for, for where we see that distillers market going in the future. Well, and it looks like it works. I mean, the, the conference actually does turn into sales, doesn't it? It really does. You know, it's a it, it's a networking opportunity, but it's also the ability to to, to cut deals. And so you'll you'll have uh, you'll have countries getting together with producers and, and marketers. And, and it's that kind of an atmosphere and, and climate. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with the export exchange. And I, I think it worked well this year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good stuff. OK, um, let's talk about uh Okay, let's jump into the into the rail situation because yep. you know it, it's kind of a we we've moved the deadline from the I guess the end of November into early December. Uh, but what is the status of the negotiations between the labor unions and the railroads right now? So we have, you know, it, it's really six of the largest carriers trying to uh, work out a new contract with 12 affected labor unions. Uh, the president is obviously involved. Uh, he has initiated the White House Presidential Emergency Board to help the, with those mediation processes. From what I know, Chip, we are down to two unions that have yet to uh, agree with the, at least the preliminary um, uh, uh, compromise on, on whatever that contract needs to be. It is the uh, maintenance workers and the railroad sig signalmen. So even though you only have two of the 12 that still have a problem, uh, the agreement that those unions have is that if one strikes, they all strike. And, and so that's the, that's the worry. Uh, that's the concern. Certainly it's a uh, huge issue. We are, we're happy to see that they're still at the table. We're happy that we're happy to see that an imminent strike uh, at, at least this month seems to be off the table. But, you know, to be honest with you, kicking the can down the tracks is is not a sustainable long term solution uh, for our railroad I issues. You know, we're an industry that has more than 70 percent of our of our fuel uh, transported by railroads. And so. Yeah. Uh, they need yeah. to get to a permanent solution and they need to get to it fast or else we're going to see if the railroad shut down, the ethanol in industry shuts down. And, and that's yeah. a lot of refineries across the country. Yeah. You, you know, it really is that simple. Isn't it is. It? If the rail, if the railroad ra railroads shut down, the ethanol industry shuts down. Well, and it even starts to happen, Chip, before the actual yeah. strike. Uh, we were preparing or at least starting to prepare or, or being told, be ready uh, as early as today to see a slowdown in products such as hazardous materials. And ethanol is identified as such. And so we could have seen slowdown beginning as of today had this extension not been granted. So 
So it, it does impact everybody. Uh, it would certainly impact us more adversely maybe than others simply because our product needs to move by rail. Uh, but, but just imagine what that does to the entire supply chain issue. Um, yeah. Yeah, not only just fuel, but, but obviously all the other agricultural products that, that require rail to, to move, especially during harvest. You know, it's, it's yeah. not a great time to be shutting down rail service anywhere. <laughs> And certainly in the Midwest, those that are trying to get product out to market, out to those uh, exports that we just talked about, not a great time for that at any point, but certainly not now. Right. Troy, I, I typically will be a glass half full guy when it comes to issues like this and, say, and, and agree with you that, yes, it's good that they are still at the table and still negotiating. But this has gone on long enough that it is that that I'm I'm starting to grow skeptical on this and starting to think the longer they stay at the table, the worse the news is because they cannot find an agreement. They've had the time, they've had the direction, they've had the intervention to find an agreement, and they're not getting there. Is do I have the wrong read? I'm not sure you do, Chip, to be honest, and, and I, I share a lot of your concerns. Um, we thought perhaps the trigger to, to get something done was November 8th, you know, get past yeah. the midterms, and then perhaps we can get back to the table. And, and I hope that that's what's happening right now. You, can, you know, the, the good news is we aren't going to see a strike come November 20th. Uh, the bad news is nothing's been settled yet. Uh, you do have, you know, 80% of the unions involved in this seem to be in agreement to the new contract language. Uh, you have the two holdouts. So so I don't know what happens within that union shop, but uh, I would think there would be pressure building there as, as well. Yeah. Um, and as long as we keep the, the trains running down the track, Yep. Um, we're in the place we need them to be. So so okay. hopefully by December 9th, even earlier than that, we start to hear there's a positive movement here. Uh, but if it drifts past this December 9th, I probably fall into your camp in, in that I, this okay. is not getting better and it could get worse. Okay. All right. Let's move on. EPA has finally moved the proposed RVOs over to the Office of Management and Budget. The should give them enough time to make the announcement by the end of the month then, shouldn't it? It, it? it should. This process usually takes two to three weeks, so that would be in the right time frame. They did do the extension to November 30th in order to get that final rule out the door. Uh, we've been waiting on this for a long time, Chip, and, and uh, once again, this was another November 8th uh, uh, hold uh, until after the, the midterms, this was being held by the White House. So, so now that we're past the midterms, that's why we saw this go over to OMB. Uh, we expect good numbers. We, we expect this set rule to reflect the 2022 uh, RVO in a lot of ways. Uh, we were told directly from Administrator Regan that, that the 2022 RVO was the roadmap for the set. So that being at a 15 billion gallon for conventional biofuels and a, and a overall number of 20.6, uh, we hope to see that number and even a, a growth pattern moving forward and a multi-year uh, number yeah. 
within this set rule. I, I think that would give us certainty that that I think everyone on all sides of this issue would be looking for. So yeah, um, happy to see it over at OMB finally, and uh, we we hope that this process is is completed soon. We, will this include the numbers out to twenty twenty five for the RVOs, the blending obligations? It could. It we we hope it does. Uh, we were certainly asking for a multi year. Um, uh, rule, and we're told that it will include at least two years. I don't know if it'll go to the third, but it, it should be 23 and 24 together. Uh, and if it went to 25, and, and that, like I said, is, is a growth uh, curve that, that we see happening, we're, we're going to be pretty, pretty satisfied with this particular uh, set rule process. So um, time will tell. Uh, a lot of groups are now getting meetings over at OMB to, uh, to have our our talk with them, but, but this is a good step and it, it's certainly necessary to, to move forward. Okay. Uh, about 30 seconds left here, Troy, the status update on the SREs and the small refineries coming back. So this is just kind of putting us back into that legal realm once again, but I think we're in really good shape. The EPA is, is, is dug in. They, they, they're supporting where they're at. We're supporting them. And we'll just have to see how it shakes out in this next round of court action. Gotcha. Gotcha. Troy, I wanted to get what it means with the GOP taking control of the House. I wanted to get to that for you, but we're going to have to have you back on some other time and talk about that. Okay, buddy? Sounds good, Chip. All right. Thank you, Troy. That is Troy Bredenkamp, Senior VP, Government and Public Affairs for the Renewable Fuels Association. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Beach, as you're putting the newsletter together for this week, the feeling in the grains is kind of heavy today, isn't it? Yeah, really heavy, Chip. Uh, aside from soy oil, uh, that's the lone warrior here trying to push to the upside. Yeah. And it, it's got solid gains uh, being supported uh, somewhat by strength in the, uh, the crude oil market. But boy, everything else is just uh, under pressure. Um, you know, six to seven cents lower in corn futures, 20 plus cents lower in soybeans, uh, double digit losses in HRW wheat contracts and, and a little bit lesser in, in the other two wheat markets. Okay, is this just uh, kind of a risk-off attitude in the grain markets? Is that what's well, happening? Yeah, it it, it kind of is, but, you know, you look at the dollar, and it's down 2,200 points. I mean, it's just getting a- absolutely hammered today, and, and so that you th- would think would lend some support. But, uh, you know, uh, wheat export demand is poor. 
corn export demand is even yeah. worse. Um, you know, and, and we got another reminder of, of that right. this morning. Uh, just woeful. I mean, yeah. terrible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's that demand side of the markets that are hurting us. Take us over to the livestock trade. I'll throw this one out there. The feeder cattle are higher because corn's lower. What's going on in live cattle? Well, live cattle, yesterday uh, we had disappointing initial trade, uh, about a dollar lower in the Southern Plains, and, and uh, but we sold off on that yesterday and, and a little bit firmer in the December contract today, um, trading just below last week's cash average. So they're reflecting that uh, slightly weaker tone. And then hog futures, uh, you know, it's lower, but uh, really it's pretty quiet. So all in all, uh, relatively quiet morning so far in the uh, livestock markets. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. That is Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets. Now we're going to learn all about Top 27 in one minute. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. You're listening to AgriTalk, where the conversation begins. Join us at 855-4-TALK-AG. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us this morning. There's a meeting going on in Egypt right now. It is the 27th Conference of the Parties, COP27. And climate leaders from around the world are gathered there to decide what the next steps are in preserving the climate out there. And the U.S. Grains Council is very involved in it. Mackenzie Bobine is the Director of Global Ethanol Export Development for the U.S. Grains Council. She oversees development and execution of the Council's Global Ethanol Program, uh, which is why this is a really big week for Mackenzie. Mackenzie, welcome to AgriTalk. How are you? Yeah, great to be here, Chip. Thanks so much. You bet. Okay, Mackenzie, before we get to COP27, I got to say congratulations on the work that you have done, the work that the U.S. Grains Council and others have done to develop the export market for ethanol. The U.S. is exporting north of 100 million gallons of ethanol a month right now, right? That's correct. And some of almost the record months within a couple past months ago. So we're maintaining a lot of momentum coming out from the pandemic. People are going back to the road. People are very interested in finding, again, these decarbonization solutions, something they individually can do right when making a choice at the pump. So this is what our team does. We we go out. It's a big world out there, but we we really develop partnerships and, and we curate these opportunities with other foreign entities to to expand global ethanol use and and expand global consumption. So, of course, the the enemy of of the status quo is is just doing things that we've always done. So that's why we are are going out there and and talking about change. So talking about our our American experience with ethanol and, and really discussing these economic and environmental benefits that ethanol implementation can bring about. Okay, excellent. So how many countries around the world are importing U.S. ethanol now? Goodness. So our our stats just came out for our last marketing year. It goes October through September. And so we had 79 different countries around the world take U.S. ethanol specifically. So, yeah, about 1.5 billion gallons globally. That is a little over 10 percent of what we make here in the United States. And and these are high margin, high value products. So it, it really comes back to the farmer improving ethanol production. You know, this is something that those countries that are importing U.S. ethanol or ethanol from wherever, they can 
immediately put that into their fuel supply to lower their cost, uh, reduce the carbon output, and extend their fuel supply. It's not like you need to overhaul the vehicles or the fleet of commuter vehicles out there, do you? Exactly. And those are kind of like the key, right? Like three rounded stool that we always talk about. Ethanol is available, right? It's abundantly supplied. Ethanol is sustainable and then it's affordable at the same time. And even better yet, like you said, it's easily implementable within the existing fuel supply chain at very, very minimal or no cost. Yeah. So the reaction from importers and, and global consumers of ethanol, you know, it seems like we're fighting an uphill battle all the time with ethanol here in the United States going against the misinformation from the oil refiners and so on. Do, do you have to deal with that when you get into the global market? I would again say it's just people have been doing things, you know, their exact same way for a long time. So when we go out and we talk about ethanol, I mean, it's relatively new commercial fuel. We think about even here in the United States, it came about in the early 2000s. We really didn't start exporting it in bulk until even like late into the 2010s. And so it's a new product. So we're going out there and saying, have you thought about something different, right? Even from an oxygenate perspective. So I I would say it's just more than anything. Yeah. Just talk talking about educational type purposes for sure. Okay. All right. Let's talk about COP27. We've got uh, the big gathering is happening in Egypt right now. What is it? Who attends? What are the goals? Yeah, so it's an annual event. I mean, it's hosted by the United Nations really to address those global issues regarding climate change. And I think most people probably most famously think of the Paris Climate Accords. That's probably the most famous COP. So 194 countries pledged to limit global temperatures. This year, COP27 is being hosted in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Last year, the event was in Scotland. It's a two-week event, you know, different themed days, such as like a youth day, an agricultural day, a, a biodiversity day, where, where everyone's really coming together on, you know, ideas, programs, best practices. And it's, a, it's that who's who of, of governments and, and multilateral organizations. You know, you have, you have academics, you know, these different national associations, and of course, you know, commodity organizations like ourselves. So everyone's descending upon Egypt to really discuss what their countries are specifically doing to, to mitigate carbon emissions. So back during the Paris Climate Accord in mm-hmm. 2015, Countries created these legally binding treaties um, or nationally determined contributions. So they're really country specific. Every country is different, right? With with different resources, you know, different infrastructure and and different ways in which their population shifts and adapts. So countries set their own domestic goals to reduce their specific GHG emissions has best suited to them. So it's fairly broad. You know, it's it's yeah. let's install energy efficient appliances or, or have better access to, to better working public transit or, or put in place deforestation protections or, you know, improve our, our waste and recycling programs. So that's where we come in with U.S. Grains Council and, and the main reason we are there. So many countries, you know, one of their largest contributions to their emission profile 
is that transportation sector. And we're coming about and saying biofuels like ethanol offer that immediate solution and carbon reduction of the global fuel source. So the U.S., we're the largest producer of ethanol globally, the largest exporter of ethanol, and, and we see ourselves as that key voice within the global community to convey and promote the various benefits with ethanol blends. You mentioned the agriculture day there at these events, these meetings. I, I'm sure that agriculture is viewed in two very different lights. Number one, it's a source of GHG emissions and their and ag is part of the problem. On the other side, the view has got to be their agriculture is is where we can make some of the biggest progress in um, in finding solutions in finding solutions to the the greenhouse gas emissions. It, it it's got to be kind of a mixed bag of a view, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I would say this is something, too, where it's just coming about and like rethinking and reshaping what people think about agriculture. I mean, I am even so surprised when we go out when people don't associate ethanol with agriculture. And it's just almost laughable, right? It's so ingrained, of course, within the United States. But this is something where, no, I mean, we're really positioning uh, agriculture and ethanol has that savior, has the person to go out and, and make these big, big impacts, you know, has a carbon sink with these practices. So this is something where, of course, you know, we're using corn here in the United States to make ethanol, but but the world has been making ethanol from, from the dawn of creation. It's that pure alcohol that we've been distilling for centuries with, with any available starch or sugar molecule. And we've just improved and commercialized it within different countries. So yep. uh, Excellent. while the of course, uses corn. Um, other countries are using wheat, sorghum, sugarcane, a variety of feedstocks and production practices. But again, regardless of, of where it comes from, it's offering that significant carbon reduction when implemented within the fuel supply chain. Which leads us to this joint statement that was released by the U.S. Grains Council and some other su global supporters of the biofuels. Who joined in making the statement and, and what was the main message? Yeah, so I have to give a lot of credit to our membership. So the U.S. Grains Council, through our membership, we actually have the industry and geographic specific advisory teams. So I work in our ethanol advisory team, which which really includes key members like Growth Energy, you know, Renewable Fuels Association, the specific, you know, state ethanol groups and, and state checkoff association, our, our individual plant members, and, and really that entire ethanol value and supply chain is part of our advisory team. So they promoted this effort to go out and engage, engage and give visibility to our global efforts by collaborating in a joint statement with other global ethanol associations that are outside of the United States. So this has been months in the making, but we're joined by EPIR, the European Ethanol Association, Unica, the Brazilian Sugar Ethanol Association, UNIM, which is the Brazilian Corn Ethanol Association, and finally, Renewable Industries Canada, which is the Canadian Ethanol Association, and all of their collective membership. So between our five organizations, we collectively represent 90% of global ethanol production. Wow. And the, and the bottom line of the message is, look here, if you're looking for that immediate source of carbon reduction, uh, eth ethanol is here and can fulfill those needs right now, right? 
Absolutely. It's a tool in the toolbox, right? Don't forget about that tool. And in fact, we're very much encouraging you to use this tool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any reaction to the statement so far? Yeah, I would say, of course, no one has directly contacted me asking to buy U.S. ethanol, <laughs> but of course, we think it's been very well received. And and that's the whole point of issuing it at the start of COP, right? To gain a lot of traction surrounding ethanol benefits and, and really get the conversation started about these realistic solutions and initiatives that can solve so many of the issues that COP27 is looking to Excellent. Excellent. Mackenzie, thank you so much for making time for us this morning. We certainly appreciate it. And and the efforts that uh, you are, uh, are in charge of there at the U.S. Grains Council to support ethanol. Thank you. Yeah, grateful to be here, Chip. Thank you. Uh, all right. That is Mackenzie Bobine, the Director of Global Ethanol Export Development for the U.S. Grains Council. She oversees development and execution of the Council's Global Ethanol Program. Davis and I will be right back to wrap up today's AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. On your favorite radio station or your preferred digital device, AgriTalk is live every weekday. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Hey, we're going to continue the conversation just as soon as we make time for this industry spotlight. Dr. Sarah Cavidra is a nutritionist and a dairy technical consultant with Alanco Animal Health. Sarah, dairies are always looking for the next gain in efficiency, whether it be from cow comfort or in feed rations. If a dairy is considering a change in a ration, what do they need to consider? Yeah, great question, Chip. So when you're thinking about your feed ration, what should go and what should stay? I think feed efficiency is a really important part of that and having good data behind an additive or a strategy that increases feed efficiency is, is also key. And thinking about how things change over time, what you fed 20 years ago might need to be changed today when you're thinking about feed additives or even nutrients and how that relates to the amount you're feeding per cow. Right. I mean, you've got to keep your rations in proportion with some of those additives. You're not trying to dose the cow. you got to dose the feed, right? Yeah, and that kind of depends on what you're talking about. What's the mode of action of the feed additive? 
So Rumenta is an important feed additive because it does improve milk production efficiency, gets more energy out of the feed than if you didn't feed Rumenta. And it's important to think about your dose now versus 20 years ago. So if you were feeding 300 milligrams of Rumenta when she was eating 40 pounds of dry matter 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you were still at 15 grams per ton in terms of concentration and you had a really well-dosed feed. But now if she's eating 60 pounds of dry matter and you're still feeding 300 milligrams, now you're down to 10 grams per ton. So your concentration has decreased and it's not being as effective. So that's an important consideration when you're looking at the dose or the concentration of rumensin that you're using in your feed today. Wow. Where do we go for more information? Contact your Elanco Animal Health Representative or visit us at trustedbygenerations.com. That is Dr. Sarah Cavidra. She is a nutritionist and a dairy technical consultant with Elanco Animal Health. Okie doke, Davis Michelson here. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning on AgriTalk. Chip Flory joins, of course. Uh, I, we got something to talk about here, but first, today's Yields in the Fields. Yields in the Fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by Microessentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. The north central portion of the, our beloved Tallcorn State, Chip, Franklin County, right. Iowa. Uh, this grower says corn is piled everywhere around here. Now, this Chip, this is more complex than you may think. Never seen it like this before, he says, but I think it has more to do with the speed of harvest and reduced shipments on the Mississippi River than yep. yields. That's yields in the fields. For micro essentials for mosaic chip logistical issues absolutely i've seen yep. it along highway three in uh in northeast iowa where some of the piles are showing up some some new construction to uh where where piles are are being made uh and it's uh i i think that observation is probably right we're looking at some some logistical issues in moving this big crop around and because it came in so fast you know the wet bins to the dryers filled mm-hmm. up. The mm-hmm. it, it everything filled up in a hurry in some of these areas, including North Central Iowa, Franklin County. So well, and there, of course, stuff. were some good yields out there. But but I think what he's saying also, you know, is is important to point out. It's not necessarily huge bin busting yields that's making these piles. It's the uh, transport snarl. Right. 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 You had a okay. You now we we talked with uh, Troy Bredenkamp from our. FA Renewable Fuels Association yep. and you've had some chatter. Had yeah, some chatter. Absolutely. Had a, a question came in from Nathan. Uh he he said, You are talking about the I'm gonna put in potential rail strike okay. and movement of ethanol. Yeah. Will the refiners be allowed to stop blending or will gas just not be available? Yeah, huh. uh, obviously gas would be available. We just uh, but how does it all work? Um, so I fired that back off to the folks down at RFA and we got a response from Jeff Cooper already, the president and CEO of RFA. Jeff says most gasoline that refiners make must be blended with ethanol to meet minimum octane standards. So the administration would likely need to issue some sort of emergency waiver to allow low-octane gasoline. But the bottom line, according to Jeff, is gas prices would go up because roughly 10% of the nation's gasoline supply, i.e. ethanol, would be stranded 
and so there would be less volume available to meet demand. But mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that that fits with with you know I get on my soapbox every now and then, Davis, and talk about okay the environmental benefits are great, but it's the octane value. Uh, mm-hmm. the The octane value is where the the refiners use ethanol to make money because it is cheaper to refine to 84, 85 octane, spike it with gasoline, get it to the minimum 87 octane to put it in the pumps and distribute it to the consumers. That it, the, the, the further you refine gasoline to higher octane levels, the more expensive it is. So getting that 87th point of octane from straight gasoline, that is the most expensive point to get in the whole process. Mm-hmm. So if you can displace the most expensive point with relatively cheap ethanol and spike it and get it up there, that's a, a big plus for the refiners. Now, this is part of the reason that I scratch my head on a regular basis about why big oil is fighting ethanol because they make money off of ethanol. Mm-hmm. It's the cheapest source of octane that they have available, and yet they fight it. And I get, I understand, you know, it's a threat. They make their money off of pumping oil, and, and if we displace the demand for oil with with ethanol in the system, well, that starts to bite into their profits. I get that, but that money can be made on the refining side, can be remade does that make sense recapture sense yeah yeah it can be recaptured on the refining side so thanks jeff appreciate that quick response to that question and thank you nathan for asking the question that was uh yep very good very good all right you guys uh thank you so much for listening this morning you got to come back this afternoon 206 central we are going to have a conversation with one mr rick brock from the brock report right here on agritalk